Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. Uh, I'd like to welcome the new listeners. If you're a new listener, we study the uh, Old Testament on Wednesdays and then the New Testament on Sundays. And we go through the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. And we continue our study through Philippians. If you have your Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 in continuation. Now, there are certain um, advantages, certain blessings, certain... um, uh, 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 blessings, advantages, uh, 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 benefits of maturity in Christ. Uh, and it's so beautiful when you see here in chapter 3, verse 1, how Paul is saying to the Philippian saints, now the Philippian saints aren't Corinthians, they're not Ephesians, they're not Galatians. Now it's very important to understand that growth in Christ. And you see the problems that were in Corinth aren't in Philippi. The problems that weren't in Galatia are not in Philippi because they're mature. Now, when we look at, like in verse one, finally, my brethren, chapter three, verse one, brother Paul says this to the saints of Philippians. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, it's such a easy sentence, an easy sentence. We says rejoice in the Lord. That's to be full of cheer. That's how it translates. You know, we, 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 we study this in English. You know, I teach from America and we, we look at these uh, 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 passages. But when you look at the Greek, you know, it's so beautiful, not just the Greek, but Hebrew, Aramaic. It's so beautiful because it just blows up a word even deeper. And when you see here, rejoice in the Lord is to be full of cheer to have the joy of the Lord and to be full of cheer. Now, remember in Corinth, Paul says in in, in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 5, the, 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 the separation chapter, the separating the, uh, uh, the leaven from the remnant, he says, you guys, he says, your rejoicing isn't a good thing. Your rejoicing is not a good thing. Now, why is it that Paul says to saints in Corinth, you know, and then like your rejoicing isn't good. But then to Philippians, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Why is that? He doesn't say your rejoicing isn't good to the Philippian saints. Why is that? It begs the question, well, you know, is is Paul wishy-washy? Is, is, is there some kind of confusion in Paul? No, the answer is no. He is a vessel that the Lord has used to teach and exhort and to warn and to uh, uh, give these very, very beautiful, not just letters that he wrote to the church, but remember in our study in the book of Acts, you see the steps of his feet, you see the works of his hands and how the Lord did mighty things through him, not to deify Paul, but to understand it's Christ in Paul. So what's the difference? The, the the Corinthian saints, he says, your rejoicing isn't a good thing. But to the Philippians, he says, it's not only a good thing, but to continue to do exactly that, rejoice, to be full of cheer. The difference is the carnality, walking according to the flesh. You don't see that in Philippi, but you see it in Corinth. Not all of the, not the, the entirety of the Corinthian letters, 
But the first chapter one, two, three, four, five, you see a lot of it where you, and and even after chapter five, you still see carnality, but Paul is addressing these things and teaching and exhorting where, you know, now we got to look at marriage. Remember first Corinthians after chapter five, you get into chapter six, chapter seven, subject matter of marriage, because remember what was happening, the sexual sin inside of Corinth. Where Paul says, take that guy and commit commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. All of a sudden, this idea of uh, of, of what marriage looked like and what what what, what the what the biblical model of marriage, the biblical model of sexual activity within marriage, and among the leaven that was just out of whack. And so we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, and then all of a sudden it has to be put back in place again. It has to be taught again and has to be applied again. And in those early chapters, post-separation, you know, 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 7, 8, you know, when Paul says, "Do do I praise you in this? Nope, I do not praise you in this. Do I praise you in that? I do not praise you in that. Little bit of, little tap, tap, little chastisement. But, it, you know, in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, your rejoicing isn't good. It's not because Paul is wishy-washy. It's not because the Lord changed his mind. It's not because Paul changed his mind. It's that just like what we studied in Numbers, the people changed their hearts. They weren't walking according to the Spirit. They were walking according to the flesh. And it was uncorrected for three years to the point where all of a sudden these works of the flesh were exposed the fruit of the flesh were exposed and then it had to be addressed chloe those in chloe's household were the first to notice i perhaps not the first to notice but the first to, the first ones to notice and do something about it we got to tell paul we got to tell paul imagine that people in chloe's household little bible study in Chloe's household. In Corinth. Yes, Corinth was getting out of whack. Out of alignment with the Lord. And those in Chloe's household who knew. They didn't just know, but they did something about it. We got to go to Paul. We got to let Paul know what's happening. You see? And how the Lord works among a people who worship him and in spirit and in truth. You see? And it's powerful. It's not to say, you know, a lot of times. Now, do you remember in previous weeks how, you know, when we give the exhortation, like we have to be honest with ourselves. If you're a 1 Corinthians 3 bunch, if you're a Galatians bunch, if you're a Ephesians bunch, if you're a Galatians bunch, we have to be honest with ourselves. Be straight up. Now, if you're 1 Corinthians 3, if that's your... Where you're at, if that's the grade that you're in, so to speak, in, in terms of maturing in Christ, we have to be straight up. Certain, It's not to say that Philippians isn't for you. It is absolutely for you. But there are certain things to master. There are certain things to apply in your life. Not, not to suggest that they can ever be uh, uh, mastered 100%, but they can be mastered 60%, 70%. When you've mastered 100%, you're going to be dead. You'll be in paradise with the Lord. Moving on to completion is what the Bible says. And completion is in paradise with the Lord. You see? It's very important for us to understand this because sometimes, and 
it pains me to say this, but a lot of Christians live defeated lives. No victory. Oh, I'm defeated by sex. I'm defeated by drugs. I'm defeated by alcohol. I'm defeated by XYZ. I'm defeated by one, two, three. But yet I believe in the promises of the Lord. And it's like, wait a second. When we read about the promises of the Lord and the blessings of obedience and all these beautiful things, it's not to say that we can't have this now, today. Look at the Philippian saints. The disconnect is more often than not disobedience. People say, oh, you're teaching works-based salvation. It ain't works-based, it's obedience-based. You see? And when there's obedience unto the word of God, understand, you know, sound doctrine is imperative. It's not, you know, obedience to uh, 100% obedience to Deuteronomy because we know what the law is. Listen to our study to Galatians. It's not 100% obedience to uh, Deuteronomy or Numbers. It's obedience in, a, in the new covenant, understanding Numbers and Deuteronomy, which points to Christ, and also understanding the nature and character of our Lord. And so all of a sudden, we mature in Christ. And then, you know, if you're a 1 Corinthians 3 bunch, you're going to move on to maybe a Galatians bunch and move on to a, an Ephesians bunch. And then all of a sudden, and enter a, a, a Philippians bunch. All in Christ. Every single one of us in Christ, as believers in Christ. But there is danger behind being a baby. There is also danger behind maturing in Christ, but with maturity, the danger is still there. But then at the same time, you're equipped. You're able to fight. You're able to identify, okay, this is a threat. This is something I don't want to play with. This is something I don't want to play games with. This is something I don't want to play games with. So, you know, I, I, I choose accordingly. I live my life accordingly because I'm obedient to Christ. These are the decisions that we have to make, you and me together. We're in the same boat. And so when Paul says here in verse 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, just to be full of cheer. Don't forget, we can have the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy, the fullness of cheer. That's one of the promises that the Lord has for us. Understanding that, yes, absolutely, 100%, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But remember the formula. The formula, it's got to be right. It's got to be right. I met Christians today, and this might be you, and I love you. But Christians today, defeated through sex, drugs, rock and roll, alcohol, you know, the occult, Saints who believe in Jesus Christ, but yet you read passages of like, you know, rejoice in the Lord, but it's like, how can I rejoice? How can I rejoice when I feel like dirt? How can I rejoice when I feel like this? How can I rejoice? When... You see, that's the disconnect. The formula has to be right. You and me together, we have to reckon the old man dead. We have to reckon the old woman dead and be alive in Christ as we carry our cross, the instrument of death. We must. And so, you, because that's what Satan does. And Satan might be 
trying to seduce you already. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm certain he's tried to seduce every single one of us in many points in perhaps one single day. And you read the Bible and it's like, okay, the Bible says this is good and the Bible says this is good for me and these promises of the Lord, they're so beautiful. But if that's the case, why do I feel like dirt? If the promises of God are so good, then why do I feel like this? Why do I feel like this? I listen to this pastor who tells me to go grave soaking. I go grave soaking and why do I feel like dirt? Remember, the formula must be right. And when the formula is right, Inside of you, my beloved brother, my beloved sister, when the formula is right inside of you, all of a sudden, these promises of the Lord are effectuated. Not just something that you can hear like, okay, yes, you know, these promises of the Lord, yes, they're good, but I don't have that. No, through obedience, and the Lord sees, he knows, through obedience, all of a sudden, these promises, they become effectuated and you, my beloved, can taste and see that the Lord is good. It's powerful. And a lot of Christians in a defeated state, yes, they have faith because they're believers, but these are things that give Satan a foothold. Because, remember, he roams around like a lion, waiting for whom he may devour. And part of his seduction is precisely what I said. Where, you know, oh, you look, the Bible promises this. The Bible promises good things. You read the Bible and, you know, in accordance with the Bible, God says that you should, you know, have this blessing. The Bible says that you should have uh, still waters and green pastures. Maybe God is fake. Maybe God is fake. You see, that's part of the evil, twisted seduction. And then all of a sudden, people, believers, they buy into that. You know what? You're right. And then they're seduced, and then they enter apostasy. It's a defection away from truth. Remember, that is prophesied. It's one of the signs of the times, the great falling away. The falling away is a prophecy, one of many prophecies of the last days, a defection away from truth. That's what will happen. Scripture has, it, it, it that's one of many prophecies, but the falling away must come to pass and it's already happening. And I don't say this, you know, when you hear me say this might be you. Like, you know, you feel you're living a defeated life as a Christian. You might, it might be you. 100%, it might be you. But I don't want it to be you forever. I don't want it to be you tomorrow. I don't want it to be you today. Because let today not just be the day of salvation, but let today be the day of change. If that is you, if you've been living defeated lives, in, you're a believer. You believe in Jesus Christ and you've been living defeated lives. Like, you know, you know, I, I do my sex, I do my drugs, I do my alcohol. And how come I have no victory? Because the Bible says I should have victory and I don't have any, any victory. Rather than listen to the voice of Satan say, 
maybe the God that you believe in is fake. Instead of you listening to that voice, listen to mine, my beloved brother, my beloved sister. We have to understand these things. I don't want you to be among the apostasy, among the apostates. I don't want that for you. I want you to have life and life everlasting. And I'm a servant. I'm a servant. It's my master wants me to tell you this. And my master is Jesus Christ, whose word is above his name. And he wants me to tell you this. You might have lost in battles yesterday, last year, last month. But tomorrow's a new day. And joy comes in the morning. Yes, joy comes in the morning and the fullness of joy. But remember, the formula must be right. You say, wow, I do my sex, I do my drugs, I do my alcohol, and I have no victory. Okay. Don't do the sex, don't do the drugs, don't do the alcohol. Different ball game. You see, repent. Repent. Oh, I repented when I was 10 years old. I don't have to repent anymore. Rubbish. Who says that? Where do you see that in the Bible? I mean, when you read uh, 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 Revelation 2 and 3, there's only two churches where the Lord says don't repent because the formula is right in them. The majority of churches, five out of two, he says repent. Now, if one saved, always saved were true, why, why would he say repent to saints, to Christians, to the church? Why would he even say that? See, repent, repent. Anytime you're, you, you, you come to the realization that you're in the carnal nature, repent. Because if you've been listening to us for a while, remember the jello, the beautiful, beautiful, soft jello. Now, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, what are you talking about, jello? <clears throat> I forgot when it was first, first, first mentioned. So uh, listen to, uh, uh, from Acts until now. A lot to cover there, but I forgot when we started talking about jello. But we want your heart to be as soft as jello. And that comes through repentance. Because we're nice and humble before the Lord. Not prideful and arrogant, humble. And he sees that. And when he sees that, it's, remember, he responds. The Lord responds to disobedience. Yes, there's no victory. But he also responds to obedience, victory. And not just victory, the fullness of joy. Some Christians have never, ever experienced the fullness of joy. Where you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you, you got two months to live. We have, you know, your stage four cancer. You have two months to live. There are some people who will be full of joy to hear those words. In two short months, I'm going to be with the Lord. The vast majority of people will be like, you know, depressed and sad. You know, understandably, according to the flesh. But then there are some people who will be so full of joy to hear that. Wow, in two months. Oh, you know, we found, you know, very advanced stage cancer. It's moving rapidly. It's spreading rapidly. You know, two weeks to live. 
I wonder how many people would have a big smile on their face. Not say anything, but just a big smile smile on the face. You know, in two weeks, I get to be in paradise with the Lord. That's what I'm talking about, the fullness of joy. Very many Christians do not, have never experienced that fullness of joy. And I'm not speaking in terms of we chase after an experience. That's very dangerous to chase, chase after experiences. Never do that. But that's not to say that in Christ, we can never experience certain things. Absolutely, the fullness of joy is one of many. Because the seduction of Satan is going to intensify and it is intensifying. Remember, Jesus says, no flesh would be, in the last days, no flesh would be saved, even the elect, even the elect, unless those days were shortened. You see? Think about the seduction, how it is today, and think about how it's going to amp up in next year or two years, or three years, or four years. or Think about that seduction, how it's going to amp up. But when the formula is right, you won't live a defeated life. You will live victoriously in Christ. Sometimes you hear Christians, oh yeah, I have victory in Christ, I have victory in Christ. And it's like, well, wait a second. You say you have victory in Christ, but I see the flesh I see the carnal nature. I see the sex, the drugs. I, you know, I go, I see social media. You, you go to the bars, you do this, you go to the strippers, you do that, you do the drugs. I I see it. There's a disconnect, brother. There's a disconnect, sister. Oh, you're too harsh. You're too harsh. Look at the harshness of Paul to the Corinthian saints. His harshness was It was not just poignant, but it was applicable to the Corinthian saints because of their carnality. But when you get into Ephesians and Philippians, you don't see that harshness. Is is Paul playing favorites? Does he like the Philippians better than the Corinthians? No. God is no respecter of persons, neither are his servants. He doesn't care. Rich guy, poor guy. doesn't care. Who cares? He sees the souls. You see? It's very, very, very important as we get further in the last days because Satan will intensify his attacks. And it is prophesied. Many will fall away. Jesus says, no flesh would be saved, even the elect, unless those days were shortened. Even the elect. Think about, you know, you hear us mention, you know, the threat, the threat, the threat on the Corinthians, the threat on the Ephesians, the threat on the Galatians, the threat on the the Philippians. Absolutely. But the threats are going to be multifaceted in the last days. From the left, from the right, from... Ahead, from behind, the attacks are going to be all around us. But our supply line is from above. You see? The weapons of warfare 
are spiritual and mighty because they're holy and from the Lord. Don't forget the cost of being a Christian at this particular time was so heavy, life-threatening, so heavy, as you've heard in prior studies. I don't want to get graphic, but you listen to the prior studies and you're like, whoa, that's pretty graphic. Because the cost of being a Christian was heavy. And yet Brother Paul is saying, my brethren, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. But remember to the Corinthians, not the entirety of the Corinthian letters. First Corinthians uh, 5, he says, your rejoicing isn't good. But then we get into the latter chapters. We get into uh, Second Corinthians. And it's restoration that has happened. You see? We have to understand this level of maturity and maturing in Christ. Because the attacks are very real. Very real. I mean, not to get graphic or anything or explain this in a carnal sense, but I mean, if you were to fight like a, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're an adult. If you're not an adult, then, you know, say you had to fight somebody that was physically weaker than you. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. And that's not going to be the same type of fight. I mean, it's, say you're a fighter, like a professional fighter, not just going out and beating people up, but a professional fighter. You're a professional fighter. And who you fight when you, you just start is going to be different where is if you were a, a professional fighter for 10 years. I mean, if you keep losing fights, you're going to be out of a job. But if you keep winning fights, you're going to advance. And the people you fight are going to be tougher. But the same exact thing applies to us spiritually. And in the last days, Satan is going to bring out his big guns. He's going to bring out the big guns. And he will be victorious. It will be given to him to prevail against the saints. Prophetically speaking. It, it will be given to him to prevail against the saints. And also, there's a great falling away. Meaning, many will defect away from the truth. So he's going to win. He's not going to win like ultimately. But in this war, certain battles, he will be victorious. But I speak to the remnant. A different bunch. Warriors. The attacks will come from the left, from the right, ahead, behind, but never from above. That's our supply line. See, even Satan wants to cut off that supply line through his wicked seduction. Not just him, but his demons. Forces of Antichrist. Don't let him. And that's the beauty of maturing in Christ. Growing and maturing in Christ because we see differently. Not according to the flesh. According to the Spirit. And don't forget the fishing pole either. <laughs> and he says this, rejoice in the Lord. In verse 1, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious. 
Remember, repetition, a lot of repetition in the Bible. I mean, have you ever, in our studies, you're like, you know, like, you, we, we study certain things and it's like, wow, we just studied this in the previous chapter. Or, wow, we just studied this here. Wow, we just studied this there. And wow, it's the same thing. A lot of repetition, 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 repetition. Why? Because the Lord knows us. We need repetition. I meant speaking about a fighter. Have you ever seen a fighter train? When a fighter trains, professional fighter, when a fighter trains, there's a whole lot of repetition. It's called muscle memory. A fighter responds in a certain manner. You know, they, they, they see something, they get hit a certain way, and they respond a certain way because it's just muscle memory. Same thing with any professional sport. Not just sport, you see it in, in the arts too. In music, in dance. Repetition, 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 repetition. It becomes muscle memory. And Paul here is teaching that exact same thing. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious. It's, don't think of it as, it translates as slothful and annoying don't think of it as like annoying like you know like oh here he goes he's saying this again here he goes he's saying this again no he says for you but for you it is safe because paul understands that the students in philippi the disciples in philippi the saints in philippi the repetition for them it is good it is safe Be very careful. Be very careful, my, my beautiful beloved. If you ever get bored with the word of God, here we go, the same thing. Or, you know, you open up your Bible here. We open up and say, here he goes, the same thing. Or, here we go, Moses is saying this again. Samuel is saying this again. John is saying this again. James, here he goes again. Paul is saying this again. Rejoice in those things because it's part of the repetition. I love this because notice, just as we said last week, the tenor of Paul to the Philippian saints. In Corinth, he says, your rejoicing isn't good. And in, in, in Galatia, he says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from Christ. To saints, he says, Saints, believers in Jesus, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from the Jesus you believe in. Do you see how arresting that is to thought? Do you see how shocking that is? Here a guy is, speaking of Paul, who says that he's blown away that saints, believers in Jesus, are turning away so soon from the Jesus they believe in. That's like, what? Now, say we're Galatian saints. Hearing that, what is the response? Well, even in the response, if we were on the receiving end of hearing, we're Galatian saints, just uh, for example... 
You and me, we're Galatian saints. Somebody comes and we're sitting in the pews. Somebody runs, hey, we got a letter from Paul. Brother Paul. Read it. Guy gets up, reads it. Like, wow, you know, he says blessings to us. And we have big smiles on our face. It's so beautiful. And then all of a sudden he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Christ. Like, what? Now, you and me. On the receiving end of those words, we believe in Jesus. And Brother Paul, not just Brother Paul, almost like a father in Christ. When Paul speaks of the saints in Corinth, he speaks of them like they passed through his birth canal. He's male. He has no birth canal. That's the love that he has for these saints. They're his own children. And so we're on the receiving end. We're Galatian saints, and we hear him say that. Or somebody reads his words that he wrote. And he marvels that we're turning away so soon. Now we're on the receiving end of hearing that. Now, there's a fork in the road. A carnal response or a spiritual response? A carnal response? Oh, how dare you, Paul? Paul, you've lost your mind. You know what? We're out of here. We're going to go to this church over here. We're going to go to this other church where the guy tickles our ears and tells us everything. He whispers sweet nothings to us. We're going to go over here where, you know, it is. I'm going to feel good about myself. I won't have my little feelers hurt. That's a carnal response. But a spiritual response? Paul, tell us more. I'm concerned, Brother Paul, because I understand that you're a vessel that the Lord is using. And we believe in Jesus Christ. And Brother Paul, you're telling me that I've turned away from him? How, Paul? Tell me how. And then Paul says, you attempt to be justified by the law. Remember, you and me, we're Galatian saints. We're just about ready to, to do the, 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 the observe the Sabbath, just about ready for the feasts and the festivals and do all these things and do the law of Moses, the works of, Mo- the, 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 works of the, the Torah. We're just about ready to do that. And then all of a sudden, Paul's letter is being read. The carnal response, oh, Paul, we're out of here. We're going to go to this church over this other pastor, so-called pastor. We're going to go over here. We're going to cross the street and go over there where this guy will. He'll tickle our ears. He'll tell us what we want to hear. I don't like having my little feelers hurt. You're so mean-spirited, Paul. You're so mean. How dare you say that? I heard what you did in Corinth. You said to commit that brother to Satan. You said it to commit him to Satan. You said to separate. Oh, you're so full of, you're a divider, Paul. Look, you, you've broken up families, Paul. You see the disconnect? And then all of a sudden, you and me, we're in Galatia. Wow, Paul, tell me. Tell us. How, Paul, how how are we turning away? We love you, Paul. We love the Lord. And we fully acknowledge that the, the Lord is doing this work. How is it, Paul, that you say this to us? And why? And then he says, you you attempt to be justified by the law. And then we look at each other like dumbfounded, like what? Like we were just we were just doing the Sabbath. We were about to do the feast and the festival. We were, we were about to do all these things, just like the Bible says in the Torah. Just like the Bible says. 
Then he says, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? And we're like, what? What is he talking about? But the law says this. The law says that we do the Sabbath. The law says that we do this. Then he goes on to explain Hagar and Sarah. He goes on to explain a carnal mountain and a spiritual mountain, speaking of Zion. And then he says, if righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. And then it hits us. Oh my goodness. That was very arresting, Paul, to hear you say that you're, you marvel that we are turning away so soon from Christ by doing the works of the law. Paul, that was so shocking, so arresting, and we were very concerned. Some people said you were crazy. Some people left, but we wanted to hear what you had to say about that, Paul. So we stuck around, and now that we've heard the letter, we understand now, Paul. We're going to abide in Christ. We're not going to listen to these Pseudodelphos, the fake brothers, false brothers who come in. Remember, they come in like spies. The purpose to bring people into bondage. Remember our studying? We covered all this in Galatia. This is just a little refresher course. You see? There's certain things about doctrine, not certain, a lot of certain things about doctrine where there is Repetition, 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 repetition. Over and 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 over. But it's beautiful. Paul says for me to write the same things to you. It's not tedious, but for you, it is safe. You see? Have you ever... Taking a child to a class and you're sitting there and you know, repetition, 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 repetition. Think of Bible studies and our own repetition, 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 repetition. You see? Because when the fight comes, muscle memory. You'll know. You'll know. Wait a second. That's not of the Lord. I'm not going to go grave soaking. What? That's necromancy. That's in the Bible. The spirit from the grave, the spirit from a dead body is going to come through the ground and soak inside of me? You're crazy. A pastor says, hey guys, let's go grave soaking. You're like, what? the crazy one you're the crazy one pastor you see people say oh let's worship the Lord. worship leader singing there on a stage oh let's worship the lord look let's worship the lord and look at this glitter fall down and the glitter is falling down and people are saying oh look at that's the holy spirit what what are you talking about you see because you're gonna know yes it's the holy spirit that remember the, the one of the gifts of the spirit is knowledge not the greatest gift. But these are things that through repetition, you're going to know. A guy says, go take, go ahead, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. What? What are you talking about? A guy says, oh, God is done with Israel. They have their coalition books. 
the coalition books. God is done with Israel replacement theology. They have their children's books. Train up the children in this coalition. Look, it's godly. Look, it's godly. And you're like, that ain't godly. That ain't godly because you know. That's what happens through repetition, 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 repetition. You see? And that's what Paul is saying to the Philippian saints. Yeah, I'm writing the same things to you. But it's not, don't think of it as like tedious. Don't think of it as like annoying. Because for you, it is safe. We continue. Verse 2. Beware of dogs. Look out for dogs. That's what Paul is saying to the saints in Philippi. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. This translates as evil workers and evil teachers. Beware of them. Beware of the mutilation. Very interesting. It just so happens that we looked at this very exact same word on Wednesday. It just so happens. Beware of the mutilation. Remember, there were people going around the early church. Some of them Pharisees who denounced the things of what they were taught in accordance to uh, the, the pharisaical ways. And they believed in Jesus Christ, but they didn't fully deny the pharisaical ways. And they were going around to Christians, going around the early church saying, if you want to be a Christian, you got to not only be circumcised, but you got to do the works of Moses. Remember, we studied that, the uh, introduction to the book of Galatians. Listen to our study through all of Galatians. Because that's what happened. Paul even says, identifies these people as servants of Satan when he speaks to the uh, uh, Corinthian saints. Pseudadelphos, the fake brethren. Fake brothers, fake brethren, uh, 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 servants of Satan. It's a trap. It's not just a trap. It's an attack. I shouldn't say it's a trap. I mean, it is a trap. But like the order, it's a seduction. It's an attack with the intent to trap. That's the handiwork of Satan. And these people were going into churches. Well, if you want to be a Christian and honor the Lord, you're going to be circumcised and do the works of Moses. You see, return to the law. And Brother Paul is saying, hey, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers, the evil workers and the evil teachers. And beware of the mutilation exclamation point. And it just so happens. It just so happens. It just so happens. It just so happens. That we studied this, the exact same word. Regarding mutilation. Verse 3. For we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision, he says. We are the circumcision. Remember, 
circumcision is of the heart. It is not of the flesh. In Christ, to my beautiful sisters, in Christ, in Christ, it's the only way a female can be circumcised because it is not according to the flesh. It is of the heart. Do not be seduced. The preacher guy comes into town. Flashes his degrees. Oh, look, I got my degree from this seminary. I got my master's from this seminary, which I call cemetery. And look, let's observe the Sabbath. Let's do this. Let's do that. Just like Moses says, no, 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 no. Moses wrote about Christ. You see, Moses himself was a servant. As the book of Hebrews reveals. Servants never, never, the good servants, never deviate from their master. A wicked servant will. And that's why Paul says, beware for them. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Translates as workers and teachers. Beware of the mutilation. Because people were, you know, these people were coming in the early church. And Christians were doing exactly what they said. Okay, men, boys, and a dad. A dad says, come on, sons, let's go over here. We're going to be circumcised. And after our circumcision, we're going to heal up. And then we're going to do the works of Moses. We're going to do the law of Moses. Because we want to be righteous. We want to honor the Lord. We want to please the Lord. But understand the covenants. You see, remember when Paul to the to the Corinthians, you guys might well put up with it. You guys might well put up with it. How many Christians put up with mess? Doctrinally speaking, doctrinally speaking, the vast majority of Christians, saints whom I love, the vast majority of Christians Put up with garbage. Put up with mess. You say like, whoa, 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 whoa. How can you say that? How can you say these things against this coalition? Look, they have their teachers. They have their books. They have their publications. They have these, you know, the the, the books for kids and all these things. This coalition. Look at the doctrine. Calvinist. Reformed theory. Replacement theology. doesn't line up it doesn't fit scripture it doesn't match wrong formula whoa 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 how can you say this about this ministry look there they got this you know they got this good music and they got this and that and so what if they go grave soaking so what if they want to lay on the grave sites to soak up the spirit number one the spirit of the lord ain't in graves number two it's an abomination before the Lord. You see? A lot of Christians today put up with mess. Oh, I love this guy. He's a great expositor of the Bible. Oh, you know, are you talking about the guy who says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved? A lot of Christians put up with mess, doctrinally speaking. And when that happens, You see the mess. 
You see it. That's what's so powerful about sound doctrine. Because when the formula is right, from a doctrinal perspective, strictly doctrinal, strictly doctrinal, let's forget the fruit for a moment. But when the formula is right, from a doc- strictly doctrinal sense, the fruit can't be manufactured. The fruit is just there. You see? And we make these distinctions between maturity of Corinth and uh, 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 Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi. We make these distinctions because when you make that distinction, you can see it. You can see it. Not to suggest that the saints in Corinth were not of the circumcision, but to emphasize with confidence that the Philippians, there's no doubt. Where you look at Corinth and you're like, well, he says he's a Christian, but he's having sex with his dad's wife. So I, I mean, that's kind of an easy one. Well, you know, they say there, this guy says he's a Christian, but he's also dabbling with the crack and dabbling with the sex, going to the strippers, going to the gamblers, and these are kind of easy ones. But in Philippi, that's the circumcision. And you see that. Even among, I mean, the Christians you know, put line up all the Christians that you know. It might be two, it might be ten, it might be a hundred. Line up all the Christians that you know. And there's some that you're like, that is circumcision. But in this guy, in this lady, little wishy-washy. Now, it's not to get on a high horse and be like, oh, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you, you're going to burn in hell. But it's to understand that where you see the wishy-washy, It's wishy-washy because of milk. You see? It's wishy-washy because of milk. Remember what we looked at in Hebrews 5? In Hebrews 5, verse 12. Turn there really quick. In Hebrews 5, verse 12. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Very interesting because you expect the opposite. With maturity, you expect to go from milk to meat. But this is the opposite. The writer here is saying, you have come to need milk. It's almost like a regression. It's almost like not just arrested development, but going in the wrong direction. It's like, you know, you might be able to nibble on, you know, a little piece of bread, but now you need straight up milk again. Verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, verse 13, for he is a babe. It's not just to say, oh, he's a baby, no big deal. We saw what happened to babies in Corinth. That's not pretty. Those were hard. Those were very hard studies. Very hard studies. 
we get into like sex and the, you know all the drugs and the alcohol. It's a very difficult subject matter, especially when it's in an age where very prevalent the works of the flesh, very prevalent among Christians today. I mean, for the writer here to to mention this and say anyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. That's not like, that's not a good thing. To be a baby, it's beautiful for ba- for babies. But when a baby doesn't grow, you know, a 20-year-old with a bottle wearing diapers, that's not pretty. But yet, in application to our faith, The same thing. It's not pretty. And when that happens, such a person, male, female, I don't care. When the diet is milk only, such a person is unskilled in the word of righteousness. And being unskilled means you have it rolled around on the mat. No muscle memory to know that when the attacks come, this is the counteract. This is the counter punch. This is the counter move. This is what you do to counter this, to counter that. Solid food. The meat. Verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see? Not to get ahead of myself, but chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. You see, we move on to these things. To be a baby is beautiful. To stay a baby, not so beautiful. It's dangerous. That's what happened in Corinth. But it's not what is happening in Philippi. Because remember, 13 years growth. 13 years from the founding of the church to the writing of the Philippian letter letter to the saints in Philippi. 13 years. And you see growth and maturity. Now we get into Philippians chapter 3. Let's go back to Philippians 3. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Remember, John 4, verse 24, worship God in spirit and in truth. You see, spirit and in truth. We're living in a time. We're living in a time. Forget the world. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. Forget the world. Look at the church, specifically Christians. Christians, whom I love. Christians who do not have strong adherence to truth. You're starting to see not just the works of the flesh and the fruit of the flesh. But you're starting to see the beginning, and it could be late stage, but you're starting to see 
the apostasy. It's nothing to smile about. It's sad. It's devastating. Where, not to excuse it, at any time false doctrine is bad. Not to excuse false doctrine. But among the grave soakers, among the replacement theory people, theology people, among the Calvinists and Reformed, you're starting to see that when there is no strong adherence to truth, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yes, the Bible does have bad things. Yes, the Bible does have ugly things. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, we've studied it. The sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the bales, the asterisks, the molex. You see? Remember, uh, Balak, he didn't send down his mighty warriors. He sent down the women. He sends down the women, and in the course of time, Israel is worshiping Baal. These are very difficult passages. So, you know, there's beautiful passages too. That's why we say the good, the bad, the ugly. Sometimes people get mad at me. Oh, why don't I like how you say the good, the bad, the ugly? All of the Bible is good. I understand that from a broad sense, but when we open up the hood and look and see, there's some ugly. And I'm thankful. I love that the ugly is there. I love that we see these things, we study these things as difficult as they are. I love that they're there because understanding that God is reactionary through the example, he teaches us, he shows you and me how he responds to disobedience, how he responds to obedience. He shows us himself. But we're living in a time that where there is no strong adherence to truth, You're not just saying the works of the flesh. You're not just saying the fruit of the flesh. But you can see the apostasy. Remember the four categories of the last day's church? The last day's church is either false, it is apostate, it is entering apostasy, or it is true. Those are the four categories of the last day's church. And you can see the rise of the apostate. But you can also see the beauty of the remnant. The Bible refers to the last days as times of sorrows. There will be many things to be sorrowful about. But understand that all of Scripture will be fulfilled. Every jot, every tittle. And those who have strong, not just adherence to truth, strong adherence to truth. As John 4 verse 24 says to worship God in spirit and in truth. His word is above his name. And that's how you'll know the real Jesus. His word is above his name. Everything fits. The square in the square, triangle in the triangle, circle in the circle, you know, trapezoid in the trapezoid, uh, whatever shape and whatever shape. Everything fits perfectly. You're not trying to mash a square in a triangle. You're not trying to mash a circle in a rectangle. No. People do that. And where that happens, you see 
It's almost like you see the how the, the process of it is. When that happens, when sound doctrine is not adhered to, when truth is not strongly adhered to, that's like the very beginning. The next step is the flesh. You see the the works of the flesh? When, when there's no sound doctrine, you see the works of the flesh, and then you see the fruit of the flesh, and if there's no repentance along the way, it gets worse. It opens the door to apostasy. And then in the course of time, straight up apostate. And in the course of time, straight up false. False church. You see? And you can see it. I. It sounds so weird to say this. I don't want to sound abrasive in any way, shape, or form. I, 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 I love the church. I love Christians. But in certain regard, I'm very thankful for the tribulation. I'm very, very thankful for the events of the last days. Because... The very things, the things which happened during the 70th week. And I don't teach a pre-tribulation rapture. Listen to our study. There's two studies to listen to. One of them is uh, Jacob's trouble, biblically explained. The next one is when is the rapture. Listen to those two studies and you'll understand. I'm very thankful for the events of during the tribulation. I, I say during the tribulation. I shouldn't say it that way. Very thankful for the events during the 70th week. During the 70th week. Because remember, uh, tribulation isn't for the entirety of the 70th week. I say tribulation because that's commonly referred to as the 70th week of Daniel. But biblically speaking, it's not the, it's not the entirety of the 70th week. You listen to our study, uh, Jacob's Trouble, you'll understand. But I'm very thankful for the, these events. Because when the earth starts to shake, when the plagues start to come, those in the camp of the false, those in the camp of the apostate, those in the camp of those entering apostasy, things will be called into question. Their doctrine will be called into question. And I pray that the majority of them will come back into the fold of truth and worship God in spirit and in truth. It sounds weird to say that I'm thankful for the events that are going to happen and going to come. It sounds weird. And if you're carnal, you're like, what in the world is this guy talking about? But if you're of the Philippian type, I pray you understand. And so we see here, we are the circumcision in verse 3 who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. Now, according to the flesh, it's understandable to have confidence in. It's understandable. I get it. 
Oh, step aside. I got this. Step aside. I can I can lift 100 pounds. I can lift 500 pounds. Step aside. I'll take care of this. Oh, look, I'm so smart. Step aside. Look, I'm the intellectual. Step aside. Look, I'm the logical one. Step aside. I can handle this. That's confidence in the flesh. Recognize, you and me together, recognize our flesh as dangerous. That's the Philippian saints, mature. We are the circumcision who worship God in in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. That's out of this world. Because this world has tons of confidence in the flesh. But that's the world. That ain't the church. No confidence in the flesh. It might be, it might be Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3. It might be among the babies. But in Philippi, no confidence in the flesh. And just to bring the point home, Paul says this in verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the, in the flesh. If anyone else thinks that he may have, he, he may have more, he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I more so. Now, Paul's not boasting. He's just to show the exaltation of Jesus. We have no confidence in the flesh, but if anybody thinks he have confidence in the, he may have confidence in the flesh. I more so. He's using his own example in himself, in seemingly to boast, but to get off that pedestal and boast in Christ and exalt Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. He gives his uh, his credence, so to speak. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day. This is in accordance to the law. Remember, circumcision on the eighth day. Also, don't forget doubting Thomas. To my rabbi friends who happen to be listening on a Sunday, don't forget doubting Thomas. On the eighth day, my beautiful rabbi friends, one Messiah, two comings, Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the kin of Israel is how it translates, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Remember, as a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, and in his zeal, in accordance to the pharisaical ways, persecuting the church, in accordance to the works of the law. But his works of the law were done without eyes to see, nor ears to hear. This was before he was Paul. This was his B.C. days when he was Saul. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Remember, he's a student of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a teacher of like straight up Kohanim and Levites. That's his teacher of the law. Very high. I mean, if we were Jews, just so you know, I'm not. I'm not Jewish. 
But if we were all Jews, I mean, like, okay, like, whoa, look at this guy's stock. Circumcised on the eighth day, little check mark, okay? Let's see how hardcore this guy is. Circumcised on the eighth day, okay, that's pretty hardcore, okay? Stock of Israel, okay, he wasn't grafted in, he's of the stock of the kin of Israel, okay? A little, little, little check mark on the hardcore scale. Of the tribe of Benjamin, okay, this guy's no joke. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, okay, check mark, okay, he's pretty hardcore. Concerning the law, a Pharisee, okay, who was his teacher? Gamaliel, oh my goodness, Gamaliel was his teacher? Whoa, this guy's no joke, this guy is hardcore. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, whoa, what did he do? Did he have them in prison? Yeah, he also had them stoned, whoa, he did that, okay, this guy's hardcore. Another check mark. This guy is, who is this guy? Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. You know how many, how many people could say that? Blameless. In accordance to the law. Where the wages of sin is death. That's like, okay, you know, <laughs> game over. This guy's he's got the goods. In accordance to the law. Remember, you know, just giving an example. I'm not Jewish, but say we were all Jewish. And who is this guy? You know, who, let, let's see his stock. What's his credence? This guy's no joke. This guy's for real and he came to play. And that's Paul. In his BC days. You see? And Paul is saying, if anybody thinks that he may have confidence in the memory, he says in verse 3, we have no confidence in the flesh. But just in case there's anybody who thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, let me tell you who I was in the flesh. Let me tell you about what I did in the flesh. You think you have room to boast? I am more so. Look at who I was in the flesh. And so he says in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, B.C. days, now these I have counted loss for Christ. You see? Amen. Think of the Jews in Philippi. Messianic Jews, Jews who believed in Jesus, like, okay, we remember how Paul was when he was, a, when he was you know, uh, in the law. And straight up, I mean, he's saying it here, but straight up, this guy was no joke. You don't want to play around with him. This guy was serious business. Don't play games with him. Don't mess around with this guy. Say we're in the Philippian church and we're Jews. Messianic Jews, we believe in Jesus Christ as a Messiah. And we hear him say these things. A student of Gamaliel. A guy who was a teacher of Kohanim and Levites. And blameless in the law. These are things that the world holds in high esteem. The, the, the culture holds these things in like, this is a big deal. And the very person to whom this all applies, he's saying, it's nothing. It's nothing. 
these things I have counted loss. And not just like, you know, boom, they're nothing. Not just like, you know, the Lord is like snaps his fingers and boom, they're nothing. This is Paul who says that he has deemed them to be nothing. Why? In verse 8. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence, for the superiority of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. <laughs> how many? How many people have like a doctorate from Harvard Law? How many people would say that piece of paper is trash? That piece of paper is garbage compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And that's just that's just a, a doctorate from Harvard Law. But look at remember, look at the check marks of Paul in accordance to the flesh. That's not just, you know, a doctorate from Harvard Law. That's like straight up boom, 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 boom. Whoa. This guy's no joke. And he says. It's all nothing. Because Christ is everything. It's all nothing. It's nothing. And Jesus, he's everything. Speaking of his Jesus, remember, we're speaking about Paul. He's our Lord too. But look how personal Paul gets. He says, my Lord, for whom I have suffered. Remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember the book of Acts. When apostles, formerly disciples who are now apostles, they were telling Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul, the spirit had been Speaking to him all through those prior moments that chains and tribulation await him. And all the apostles saying, Paul, don't go. Evangelists saying, don't go. Prophets, prophetesses saying, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul is going to Jerusalem. And you're like, wait a second, Paul, are you not heeding the counsel of these godly people? But yet, where were the red letters? And not to suggest that those saints, beautiful, beautiful saints, were any less of a Christian. Not to suggest that in any way, shape, or form. And you, you hear us say how Paul was a different animal. He's not like the average bear, absolutely. But what is that difference? Remember, Paul just, Paul doesn't say, Reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. Only. He doesn't just say, carry your cross. He, he goes further. He says of himself, I'm straight up crucified with Christ. That's what Paul says. 
I am straight up crucified with Christ. Meaning, he's already dead. I'm crucified with Christ. He says, it is no longer me who lives. Do you see how hardcore that is? And I don't mean hardcore in accordance to the flesh like we read in in verse 5 and 6. I mean hardcore in accordance to the spirit. Dead. It is no longer I who live. I mean, there's, there's more to that verse. But just that one little section. It is no longer I who live. Remember, he said he's crucified with Christ. We read the book of Acts. We see his hands. We see his feet. The steps and where he goes. His beatdowns. His left for dead. And all these different things. The works that the Lord. Remember, the Lord was doing unusual works through Paul. The work was done in Paul. And continued to be done in Paul. Be being done in Paul. Don't forget the formula in and then through. But the Lord doing the work through Paul, they were unusual. Not like Peter, not like John, not like Philip. All these apostles, Paul, don't go. Godly people, godly men, godly women. Prophetesses. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. But if you remember our study in the book of Acts, you see, remember, look at the red letters. Look at the red letters. Look at how the Lord was with Paul. And not to suggest that the Lord wasn't with the others. There's something different about Paul. Who says, it is no longer I who live but Christ in me. You see? And that's not to say that a Christian can't say, I am crucified with Christ. A lot of Christians say it. A lot of Christians say, I am crucified with Christ. And it's, it's, it's not to say that it can't be said. It's beautiful. And it's beautiful when it's applied. But when Christians say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Among some, among a lot, I don't see the death. And that's not to, that's not to come against the church. It's to urge all of us, myself included, to reckon the old man dead and reckon the old woman dead and carry our cross, yes, to crucifixion so that we can say, we, this remnant of these last days, we are crucified with Christ. It is no longer us who lives, but Christ in us. It's powerful. Remember how last week when I don't want to lord over anybody's faith, but there was the urging to uh, write this down in verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you 
both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It is pleasing for the Lord. And how that translates in the Greek is that he takes this delight to show himself, to show himself mighty through you. Before that happens, it's done in us. And when it's done in us, when we fully acknowledge the Lord as sovereign, and I don't mean sovereign in accordance to Calvinism. I don't mean sovereign in accordance to uh, Reformed theory. Now, if you're Calvinist Reformed, I love you. Listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll understand. And come out of for my people. Leave Calvinism. Leave Reformed theory because it is dangerous. The teachers now are saying, the study Bible teachers, they're starting to say, the writers of study Bibles, they're starting to say, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. It's a lie from the pit of hell. You jump ship. You leave. Because your allegiance, your loyalty, is not to an author, per se, lowercase a, it's to the uppercase a the author and finisher of your faith. You jump ship. When I speak about the sovereignty of the Lord, it's not in accordance to Calvinism or Reformed theory. It's in accordance to the Word of God. People say, oh yeah, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. All I got to say is this. Why don't you act like he's sovereign? You say God is sovereign. And since you say God is sovereign, to my Calvinist and Reformed theory friends, since you say God is sovereign, why don't you act like it? You say God is sovereign. What's up with the crack? What's up with the sex? What's up with the drugs? What's up with the little white lies? What's up with the Buddha? You tell me. You're the one that says God is sovereign. How come I don't see it in your life? The sovereignty of God in accordance to Calvinism is dangerous. It is a lie. The sovereignty of God in accordance to Reformed theory, it is a lie. But yet the sovereignty of God in accordance to his word, it is absolutely true. And those who worship God, worship him in spirit and in in truth. Notice, spirit. These are believers who have the Holy Spirit. Remember, it is possible to believe in Jesus Christ without the Spirit. Listen to our study through Acts. Uh, Philip the evangelist. People believe in Jesus Christ. A little church is established. A bunch of believers. John and, and, and Peter come into town. And they perceive that they do not have the Holy Spirit. You see, they believe in Jesus Christ. They've been baptized into Christ. All without the Holy Spirit. Peter lays hands on them. And the Spirit comes in them. Except for one who was wicked. You see, to believe in Jesus without the Holy Spirit, it is possible. It's not good, but it is possible. 
and worshiping the sovereign God, biblically sovereign God, is done in spirit and in truth. We have to understand these things because false doctrine is, it's always been deadly, but it's getting not just more deadly. I mean, deadly is deadly. If someone's dead, they're straight up dead. But it's getting more deadly in terms of the rise of the popularity. Don't forget, another sign of the last days is the rise of false teachers. The rarity of true teachers. The rarity of true pastors in accordance. The rarity of the true and the prevalence and the rising up of the false teacher, the rising up of the false prophet, all in propagation to propagate and to exalt a fake Christ. And there will be many fake Christs, false Christs. It's one of the signs. One of many, many, many signs. Spirit and in truth. And so in continuation here in in verse 8, I indeed, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Whoa. Remember Remember the check marks of Paul in the flesh? Saul when he was Saul. Remember the check marks? Well, this guy's no joke. He says, it's all rubbish. That I may gain Christ. When he says it's all rubbish, it translates in the Greek as dung. Dung. You see? It just so happens we study that on Wednesday as well. (laughs) So powerful. It's beautiful. I love little... Little moments like this, you know, you, there, there's no such thing as coincidence. We study certain things and when there's correlation between different studies, Old Testament and New Testament, there's correlation. I don't know how it hits you, but for me, it hits me hard in a good way. I love it. I mean... It just so happens that we, on Wednesday, we looked at the mutilation. We also looked at the rubbish, the dung, the excrement. You see? And when it's buried, not for sanitary purposes, for God, the Lord, (laughs) to walk among us. To walk among you, the remnant. To walk among us straight up. This is straight up Eden phraseology. To walk among us. Look what Paul says. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is Through faith in Christ, 
the righteous, which is faith in Christ, the righteous, which is from God by faith. By faith. And now, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in Galatians. You remember our study in Romans, the law of faith, the law of Christ, the law of faith, not the law of Moses. Moses was a servant. The law of Christ, the law of faith. Now you understand, like in verse 2, when Paul says, beware of the mutilation exclamation point, because how dare these people come into the church and and make people be circumcised in accordance to the law of Moses and also do the law of Moses. How dare these people do that? Who are these wolves? Point out these wolves to me. Point out these wolves to me so that they can be killed. Metaphysically speaking. Metaphorically, metaphysically, spiritually. Not literally. Literally, People put up with it. Christians, they put up with it. Pastors, keep the house of God clean. And I don't mean the old vacuum. I don't mean that. I don't mean dust. I mean, keep the sanctuary the sanctuary. Abodah, abodah, mishkan. To my rabbi friends. And I say to my rabbi friends, to also exhort you. One Messiah, two comings. Moses wrote of Jesus. You, my beautiful rabbi friend, you come to Christ. Come to Christ. The fulfillment of Moses, the fulfillment of Jeremiah, the fulfillment of Isaiah, the fulfillment of Amos, the fulfillment of Joel, the fulfillment of Zechariah, of Samuel. You, Rabbi, my beautiful friend, you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you commit your life to Christ. And then you go in the synagogue, well, you learn. You have to, you know, listen to our study through Acts and uh, Romans and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, get yourself caught up. And you teach in the synagogue. I know there are rabbi listeners, and that, that's my invitation to rabbis, that's my inv- invitation to everybody. But I know there are rabbi listeners. And if that's you, this isn't, this isn't just coincidence that we're here, right here, right now. It's divine appointment. The Messiah is coming. There were rabbis at his first coming who were completely blind. And if you, if you've been walking with us for a really long time, you remember our study in, in, in Matthew, in, in, in Matthew, uh, 23. Look, turn to Matthew 23 really quick. Jesus says, red letters, Matthew 23, verse 2, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. 
Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. They're hypocrites. They're hypocrites. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. That's what they want. They want to be seen. Oh, look at me, look at me. These are the rabbis of the days of Christ, of the Pharisees and the scribes. They make their phylacteries broad. The the box, the law of Moses on their head. Instead of a little one, they have a big, big, humongous one. Oh, look how holy I am. They enlarge the bo- and, and the borders of their garments. Remember we studied that, the, go- the, the, the tassels? Instead of having little tassels, they have these big, fat tassels. Oh, look how holy I am. They love the best places and the feasts. The best seats in the synagogues, you see? Greetings in the marketplaces to be called by man, Rabbi, Rabbi. But then Jesus Christ says in verse 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 14, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16, Woe to you, blind guides. Verse 17, Fools and blind exclamation point. Verse 19, fools and blind exclamation point. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 24, blind guides. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 26, blind Pharisees. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 33, Serpents, brood of vipers, exclamation point. Now, if you're a rabbi, I love you. This is hardcore. But when you read the earlier chapters in the book of Matthew, you don't see this, not just chastisement, judgment. You see a warm invitation. And this warm invitation is extended to you today, my beautiful rabbi friend. You come to Christ. He came first as a lamb. He's coming the second time as a lion of the tribe of Judah to judge. And I want you in the camp where it is safe. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. You come to Christ. You see? And so we continue our study in Philippians. A former Pharisee, a student of Gamaliel. He's, let him, if you're a rabbi, let him be the trailblazer. This is not just a Pharisee. Look at his stock. Stock of Israel. Tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. A Pharisee. A student of Gamaliel. A 
worker of the law. Let him be the trailblazer. To my rabbi listener friends whom I love. You see? And when Paul in verse 9, he's explaining these things, it's all nothing. Because he says in verse 9, And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is the righteous, the righteousness which is from God by faith. By faith. It's not by circumcision of the flesh. Listen to our study through Romans, you'll understand. It's not by the Sabbaths, the feasts, the festivals. It's not by the works of Moses as written in the Torah. It's by faith in Christ. You say, preposterous. How can that be? You mean to tell me that everything is, you know, everything that Moses wrote about? It's, it's nothing? It's not nothing. In the law, there is glory, but it is, it is the lesser glory. The greater glory is the fulfillment of the law, what the law points to, what the law leads to when you have ears, what the law leads to when you have eyes. It's the fulfillment of the law. Even the tabernacle had a door. And this tabernacle has a door. Capital D. His name is Christ. You see? In verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, which is to assimilate. To assimilate. Remember, in, 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 you see the sufferings of Paul. Remember our study in Acts? You see the sufferings of Paul. And remember in chapter 2, verse 13, or in chapter 2, verse 13, when we see that it is not just pleasurable, but a delight for God to show himself mighty, to reveal himself through his vessels. It's something he delights in. Not just new covenant, old covenant. Look, when we read about Hannah, how beautiful. I'm so in love with Hannah. She's so beautiful. But God delights to show himself through vessel Hannah. You look at little Samuel. Beautiful. And God delights to show himself through Samuel. You see? He delights to show himself. Old Testament, New Testament. Paul, Lydia, Priscilla, Aquila. Wow, beautiful people. But yes, but understand that the Lord delights. He takes good pleasure in showing himself through these vessels. But it requires eyes to see and ears to hear. Because the world hates these people. When you have eyes to see and ears to hear, 
You fall in love with these people. This is a beautiful family. Our family tree, so to speak. Heirs of Abraham according to promise. See? And being conformed to his death, he says in verse 10. If, in verse 11, if, this is a word of conditionality. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second here. Paul says in verse 8, at the end of verse 8, that I may gain Christ. You see this same conditiona conditionality. What is Paul talking about? What do you mean, Paul, if you may attain to the resurrection of the... Isn't it an automatic? Isn't it a gimme? Aren't you automatically? Don't you have this confidence in Christ? Don't you have this sureness in Christ that yes, you are among the resurrection? Paul says in verse 12, not that I have already attained, whoa, or I'm already perfected, whoa, this is Paul. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Notice the reciprocity, the reciprocal nature. You hold on to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ holds on to you. It is biblically true that Jesus Christ will not lose any of his sheep. It is biblically true. And people say, oh, look, we have, you know, one saved, always saved. Jesus will never lose. But remember the example we gave several weeks ago about baby girl? Baby girl in the house? And you say, hey, baby girl, I'll be, I'm going to be out of town. I'm going to go to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back. You come back, baby girl's gone. You did not lose her. Baby girl walked away. For the saints, the remnant of these last days, don't walk away. It is prophesied that saints will be saints no more. Those are the ones among the apostate. Entering apostasy and straight up apostate. I say, you know, don't let that be you. But there's, it's loaded. Because that's a process. The very, the, it's, it's a direct result of false doctrine. But it is also a result of the carnal nature. Seduction. Remember, baby girl in the house, she was seduced away. It's very interesting to hear Paul say this. I mean, this is Paul for crying out loud. In accordance to the flesh, high caliber, so to speak, but he counts it all as rubbish. In accordance to the spirit, high caliber. But he presses on. He doesn't count himself as to already have attained already, but he presses on. His earnest pursuit, it's a military term. Don't forget, let not many be teachers. Teachers, pastors, elders, 
are held to a higher, not just level of accountability, but the judgment is strict. And we live in a culture today where everybody wants to be a teacher. Everybody wants to be a pastor. Pastors, elders, number one, always male. Coverings, biblical coverings, Old Testament, New Testament, always male. The ultimate covering is Jesus Christ, and he is male. Well, I mean, the ultimate cover, ultimate, ultimate is God our Father. You see? Coverings, always male. I've had these long conversations with the feminists. If you're feminist, I love you. But, you know, oh, down with the patriarchy, down with the patriarchy. And, you know, sometimes I have these long conversations. Like, what's your beef with the patriarchy? Well, I was born into this family and my dad was like this and my dad did this. Okay, bad patriarchy. Get a new patriarch. I, and I mean, you know, you can't change that. But I meant like get a new patriarch in terms of like, look at Jesus. The best patriarch, the ultimate patriarch. I mean, you say down with the patriarchy because of what you experienced. And I'm in agreement. Down with that patriarch. Talk to another feminist. Well, why are you a feminist? Well, they, look, my boss is male and a chauvinist and all this misogynism. You know, all the you know the the, the 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 popular words, the pop phrases. Okay, yeah, I agree. Yeah, he's a jerk. Down with that patriarch. He's a jerk. No patriarchy. Look, a female can do be in that role. Be like a, a Proverbs thirty one woman. The I. The idea of patriarch has been muddied so much. But don't forget, don't be blinded to the ultimate patriarch, the best patriarch. His name is Jesus Christ. And when you and me together live in submission to him, yes, submission. Bad word among the prideful. But there is safety in that. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And in him there is still waters and green pastures. It's part of the form. It's part of the promise, but the formula's gotta be right. You see? And it's so powerful when we hear Paul giving this account. Of himself that all these things in the past, remember the check marks of him according to the flesh? He counts it all as rubbish, as dung, as excrement. It's all nothing. But then when he speaks of himself in accordance to the spirit, he doesn't say, oh, look, I have attained. He says, no, I press on. And he's an old man. He's imprisoned six years away from being beheaded. And he says, I press on. In verse 12, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. You see, this is Paul. And today's saints do count themselves as apprehended. Oh, I'm of the elect. Oh, God is sovereign. I'm of the elect. Look, God is sovereign. I'm of the elect. Paul doesn't do that. Paul says the opposite. I do not count myself to have apprehended. You see? 
laid hold of. Yet people today, oh, God is sovereign and I'm of the elect. He has predestined me and I'm of the elect. Paul dares not do that. You see? Why is it today we have Christians proclaim such crazy things? Paul says, no, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but I press forward. He says in verse 12, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. When you are perfected, done, complete, when you reach that stage, you'll be dead in the flesh. You'll be in paradise. Oh, God is sovereign. I'm of the elect. To my Calvinist and Reformed theory friends whom I love, you're on the wrong boat. You need to jump ship because that ship is sinking. The teachers, the teachers, the pastors on that ship aren't beginning to. They've already begun and it's already starting to become the norm to say that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. That's what they're teaching. You can take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved because, oh, look, God is sovereign and we're of the elect and we count ourselves to have apprehended. Nope. Sorry. I love you, but you got to jump ship. I got the line. It's extended to you, but you got to grab it. That's a sinking ship. And it is dangerous. And I say this in love. Come out of her, my people. Paul says, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You know how this translates in the Greek? It's to stretch forward. To stretch forward. I meant Stand still in one spot. I'm a little exercise, you know. Stand still in one spot. If you're a parent, do this with your kids. Say, kids, stand still in one spot. You can have like a piece of candy, a little cookie. Baby girl, reach out for this. Don't move your feet. Stand still in one spot. Don't move your feet. And reach out for this piece of candy. You know, it's like a foot in front of her, okay? She has a piece of candy, you know. Chomp, chomp, it's delicious. Then you go another foot out. Baby girl, reach out for this piece of, piece of candy, a little cookie. Don't move your feet. Stand still. Don't move your feet. Baby girl does it. Now three feet. Baby girl. Stand still. Don't move your feet. Stand right here. Do not move your feet. Now reach out for this. And you're going to get to a point after like 10 cookies. <laughs> you're going to get to a point where baby girl, the only way she can have that candy, have that cookie, the only way she can do it is to move forward. When all is said and done, baby girl, you see how you moved forward? Do that with Christ. 
Do that in your walk with Christ, baby girl. All those things, like Brother Paul says, one thing I do in verse 13, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those which things which, which are ahead. It's, it translates as to stretch forward so much so that you can no longer be stationary. You see? You're stretching forward so much, reaching Reaching and stretching forward so much that the feet have to follow. And you can teach the next generation of righteousness. That's if you're a parent. If you're not a parent, you do that. You do this exact same thing. Stretch forward. The things which are ahead. What are, what's ahead? Look at the promises of our Lord. Paradise. Oneness with Him. Intimacy with Him. You see? That's the things that we stretch. It's, it's powerful. Forgetting those things which are behind the old nature. You know, so what? That's the past. Sometimes Christians get mad at me. Oh, I don't like how you say you don't care about the sex, you don't care about the drugs, and you invite people to Christ, and you don't care about their sex, their drugs. Listen, I straight up, I could care less. You're a prostitute? Come to Christ. You're homosexual, lesbian, transgender? Come to Christ. You've committed murder? Come to Christ. Now, you know... When you come to Christ, you know, we got to, you know, grow and mature in Christ. But, you know, you got to fess up. Now you can, you know, go to prison. If you murdered somebody, come to Christ, go to prison, you know, live honestly. It, it, you know, you can study the Bible, start a little fellowship. It's powerful. I don't care. Lesbian, you, you do all kinds of like disgusting sex, wicked sex, but you believe you come to Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. And the past is done. The sex, the drugs, the homosexual, the lesbian, the transgender, the murder, the drugs, the crack, all these things. That's past. We press forward together. Christians who get mad at me. Oh, I don't like how you say that. I don't like it. Why? Did you forget who you used to be? Did you forget, my friend? My brother, my sister, did you forget? That while you were a sinner, while we were sinners, Christ died for you, for me. And that same grace and mercy and love that we bask in and rejoice in, is that not extended to another? Let's put things in perspective here. People... Don't think. Hell is very real. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Eternal damnation. And not damnation for like a month. Not damnation for five minutes. Eternal damnation. Only the saints. Only the saints. A remnant of these last days 
will receive glorified bodies. Only the saints. That's why when you read passages about hell, they feel that torment. They don't have glorified bodies. They feel that torment. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want that for any Homosexuals, I don't want it for them. Murderers, I don't want that for them. Crackheads, I don't want that for them. If that's you and you're listening, you're on crack, you're the sex, you're the prostitute, you're the stripper, you're the gambler, you're I don't care. I do not care. As surely as the Lord lives, I do not care. Let today be the day of salvation. And when you come to Christ, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ, you yield to him, and you know what? Supernaturally, he cleans house. Let him. All of a sudden, you're not going to want to be a stripper anymore. You're not going to want to do the crack anymore. You're not going to want to do the alcohol anymore and bury your face in a bottle. You're not going to want to do the Buddha anymore, the occult It's supernatural. That's what happens when you yield to him. Go and sin no more. I don't care what you've done. Christians, my beautiful brothers and sisters in Christ, if you have beef with that, you got to check yourself. Because Jesus Christ came on a straight-up rescue mission. God sent his son into the world not, not, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see? Oh, but he was never saved. Oh, she was never saved. Oh, they're, they're you know, we're of the elect, but, you know, they're, they're predestined to hell. It's false doctrine. That's Calvinism. That's Reformed theory. Which is just a theory. It is not truth. You see? Brother Paul says in verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see? I love this because it's beautiful. You see his humility. And not just his humility, but you see his drive. You see his passion. You see his striving. Don't forget he's an old man here in prison. And he's writing this letter. Picture the Philippian saints. Like he's he he writes like he's 20 years old, but he's an old man. He speaks like nonstop. He speaks like remember uh, our study in Acts 20? Teaching, preaching by day, and you think, okay, he's done, he's gonna go sleep and have a nice meal, you know, have a nice meal and have a night go to go to bed and get his eight hours of sleep. No, he doesn't do that. He teaches into the evening, into the morning, all night long, teaching. 
people get mad at me. Oh, I don't like, can you just teach for 20 minutes? Can you just teach for 30 minutes and at max 35 minutes? Because, um, look at Paul. Who could endure? He writes like he's, he's an old man about to be, have his head cut off. He writes like he's 20. He speaks like he's 20 years old all night long teaching. Remember the guy fell out the window? He fell asleep and fell out the window? Remember our study? Listen to our study through Acts 20. You see? It's a different guy. Not like the average bear. And this is Paul. And not to deify Paul, but to see Christ in Paul. Because remember, Paul's crucified. He's a dead guy. You see? He's the one who says, it is no longer I who live. It is Christ in me. To the Philippian saints, he says this in verse 15. Therefore, let us, this remnant, as many are mature. I say this remnant in, in terms of the, 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 the scale of the church, in terms of Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi. To this group, I don't mean remnant like we saw in Corinth. Still a remnant, but a little different because they had to separate from the leaven in Corinth. But to these saints in Philippi, let us, as many as are mature. You don't see Paul mention this level of maturity to other churches. But yet, he says it to the saints in Philippi. To the saints in Philippi, he says it like, you know, as many as are mature. But to the saints in Corinth, he says, okay, we got to move to this level of maturity. To the saints in Galatia, we got to move to this level of maturity. But to the saints in Philippi, therefore let us as many as are mature. So does this mean there's immature believers in Philippi? Absolutely. Absolutely. But remember the rugby match in our study in Romans. Remember the rugby match? The strong 20-year-olds. The strong 20-year-olds are the ones who have to humble themselves to engage and play with and teach the 40-year-old rugby players. And then they grow together. You see? And you see the same thing in Philippi. As many as are mature. And I love this so much because... You could have, it's beautiful to be a baby believer. But to be a baby believer, all of a sudden, the baby must grow. And you have toddler believer, you see? And then, you know, regular child and teenager believer, then mature. Just like we see 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and then Galatia, and then Ephesus, and then Philippians. It's almost like 5 Corinthians in terms of maturity. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature in verse 15, have this mind. It's the same mind. Oneness. Oneness. Ecclesia. Koinonia. You see? Episunagage. 
Let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. I love this so much because God is active. Not seek the Lord and, and he might reveal this. No. If, if anything you think otherwise, listen. God is active in you, Philippian saints, and he will reveal this to you, Philippian saints. I love that. So many times. How come the Lord isn't revealing this to me? How come the Lord isn't revealing this to me? Okay, well, it could be. A lot of times people just default. Okay, we got to be patient. We got to be patient. Which is, could be partly true. But we got to check the formula too. Okay, is how's the doctrine? Okay, doctrine's good. How's my witness? How is my behavior? How's my actions? How you know how how is it? Is my behavior becoming of Christ? Remember the formula? The formula is right in the doctrine. Okay, that's a little check mark. Am I yielding to the word and yielding to the spirit and obeying and applying the word in my life? Sound doctrine to my life? Okay, little check mark. So how come now? When a little check mark here, check mark there. You know, the pastor, he's not, you know, uh, doing the uh, multiple wives and going to the strippers and doing the gambling and he teaches sound doctrine. Okay, formula, right? Little check mark. Everything's right. The formula's right. So how come God isn't revealing? How come he's not revealing this? How come he's not revealing? Now, it's in those moments. Okay, be patient. Wait on the Lord. But that's almost like a the last thing in the order of operations is to be patient. First is doctrine. How come the Lord's not revealing this? Hey, pastor, you know, I know you want me to go grave soaking. And you know, I had a great time grave soaking with you. Yeah, that was fun. And, you know, can you tell me how come, uh, uh, why is it that the Lord isn't revealing this in my life? Okay, let's go grave soaking and let's ask the Lord to reveal this. No, wrong formula. The Lord's not going to reveal. I mean, the Lord will reveal something to you. Jump ship. Leave that pastor. Because he's teaching false. You see? Then you have a pastor who has sound doctrine, a, a rarity. One of the signs of the last days is the rise and the prevalence of the false teachers. One of the signs. One of many signs. Formulas right in the pastor. You got formulas right in the doctrine, and you know which is reflected in the pastor who teaches the sound doctrine because you're a Berean. Studying the scriptures to make sure that whatever the pastor says aligns with the scripture. You see, everything must align. Square in the square, triangle to triangle, circle to circle. Everything aligns perfectly. Then you look at your life. Okay, I have my pastor, sound doctrine. We study the Bible and okay, all this, but I like my crack. Okay, that's formula's not right in you. You see, okay, got my pastor, got the doctrine, everything's beautiful, okay, yielding here, yielding there, bada bing, bada boom, everything's good to go, but you know, I also go to the strip clubs with my friends. I go gambling, okay? Listen, you have to repent. 
Don't do those things anymore. When you repent and all of a sudden your obedience to the word, the word of God, sound doctrine. And then all of a sudden the Lord reveals. Because look at how everything becomes effectuated through obedience. There used to be times when I would pray and I would pray and never have an answer. And I just figure, okay, I'll be patient. Wait on the Lord. And then there have been times when I pray and the Lord wakes me up at night. I get up, open up my Bible, a specific passage, boom, answer right there. There have been times where the Lord responds to my prayers before I pray. Like I'm praying and I start to make my prayer and petition and request made known to the Lord. And then it's like, wait a second, I already have the answer. And it's like, wow, Lord, you provided before I even asked. Now, I don't say this to boast. I do not say this to boast. My boast is in Christ. But a lot of times, Christians, saints, perhaps even you, when the formula is wrong, it comes, you know, there, it, 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 it's like a car. You know, if the formula is wrong, if you look under the hood and you put diesel, you, you, you put the wrong type of gas in the car, don't expect to go anywhere. If you, you in, instead of an alternator, you put like a shoebox there. Don't expect it. There's a functionality behind that alternator. There's a functionality behind the voltage regulator. There's a functionality behind the radiator. There's a functionality behind all these things. And if you just say, okay, I'm going to take this out and I'm going to put this a shoebox there. And I'm going to take this out and I'm going to put a, 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 a calculator there. It doesn't work. Don't expect to go anywhere. But when you have the right piece in the right spot and it's right here, right there, Boom, boom, boom. Bing, bing, bing. You have everything in place. Now all of a sudden, it starts moving. It becomes effectuated. Everything works. You turn the key. You know, old school car. You turn the key. You know, the starter. All these things. The little, uh, 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 I forgot what the, what it's called. But the little thing we did. That, um, you know what it is if you're a car guy. The key, everything goes in motion. You know, the, the battery, the power of the battery, you got the voltage regulator, everything, alternator, everything. You know, the battery kind of is repowered through the alternator. Everything everything functions beautifully. The strip, distributor, that's what I was thinking of. You turn the key, ignition, boom, boom, boom. The, the, the distributor, everything, and the, the explosions of gasoline which happen in the engine. Everything works. You hit the gas pedal, you move. Everything is effectuated. It, it, it's active. Gas lines, brake lines, everything works perfectly. But if it's wrong, you ain't going anywhere. And that's what happens in saints. No victory. People oh, how come I pray for this and this doesn't happen? Everybody says, oh, just be patient. Wait on the Lord. Be patient. But the Bible says he responds to prayer. So what's, what's the disconnect? The 
formula's got to be right. You see? And Paul says in verse 15, Therefore let us, as many as mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. God will reveal even this to you. God is active, you see? He's active. I mean, he is the power source in the fellowships. But when the formula is not right, what power is that? I mean, if there's teaching that is a straight up abomination to the Lord, what power source is that? You see, now you see the handiwork of Satan who has power. But he's not almighty. Remember the servants of Satan that we studied in 2 Corinthians? Satan who presents himself as an angel of light and his ministers present themselves as ministers of righteousness. How will you know? How will you know if this is an angel of light or if this is a, a, a minister of uh, presenting themselves as ministers of righteousness when they're really servants of Satan. How will you know? You see? The formula's got to be right. Nevertheless, in verse 16, to the degree that we have already, that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Translates as canon. You hear people say the canon of scripture. It's the rule of scripture, the standard of scripture. Let us be of the same mind. You see, it's one body, many parts. One body, one mind. That's, that's intimacy. That's koinonia. That's that intercourse, but it's social intercourse. It's, it's close intimacy. Episunagage. The ecclesia. Hagios. Oneness, it's deep. It's not just, okay, we're good friends. No, it's like we're straight up brothers and sisters. The family of God, heirs of Abraham according to faith, according to promises of God to Abraham and that lineage of faith. Remember, the law is the additive until the seed, because of sin, the law was added. You see? It's, this is a beautiful family of God. Righteousness. And so we see this in verse 17. Brethren, this is, remember, these are Philippian saints. Who, you know, when we look at Philippians 1, Paul says uh, in, in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, who to all the saints in Christ, in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, with the overseers and the teachers. You don't see that inclusion of the teachers and the overseers in Galatia, in Corinth. Why? They were defunct. Remember, Paul says you have 10,000 teachers, but one father. Speaking of himself, a father in the faith. And to these Philippian saints in verse 17, Philippians 3, Paul says, brethren, join in following my example. Whoa. And note those who so walk, or mark those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. Does that mean Paul is boasting? 
Is he saying, oh, look at me, be like me, be like me, because look how awesome I am, and you got to be awesome too and be like me? No. He's not boasting. He's not saying, look how awesome I am. But he fully understands that the Lord has these people as patterns to emulate, patterns, molds for imitation. That's how it translates, as a pattern, molds for imitation. All across generations. Remember Phineas, beautiful Phineas in the camp of Israel? The plague was spreading inside the camp among Israel. And Phineas with this beautiful javelin puts an end to that. Puts an end to the source. And the plague was stopped. Remember? We studied these things. Listen to our study through numbers and you'll understand. These beautiful patterns. Look at Hannah. A beautiful pattern for women. Mothers. Samuel, a beautiful pattern for kids. Samuel as a kid, a beautiful pattern for kids. Samuel as an adult, a beautiful pattern for adults, especially kids who are moving on into adulthood. Beautiful pattern. Look at the patterns we have before us. Lydia, Priscilla, Achilla, James, little Timmy, Paul. Look at these beautiful examples we have as patterns. Saints today. Christians today that the Lord has for us as patterns. The formula's got to be right. Look at the fruit. You'll know by the fruit. That's what our Lord says. You'll know by the fruit. You see? Paul says, note those who so walk. In this example that Paul, I mean, we've studied Acts. We've seen the feet with the hands of Paul. You see? Look at Stephen, Philip, his daughters. Look at these patterns. You see? In verse 18, for many walk. You know, it's easy to walk. Many walk, of whom I have told you often. So many walk, and Paul has mentioned this often, so they're not unaware. And now tell you even weeping, Paul is weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of the cross of Christ. These pseudodelphos who come in unaware. Remember, Paul says, you know, they seem to be some people thought they were something. They thought they were a big deal. But to me, they're nothing. I don't care about the doctorates. I don't care about the degrees. I don't care about the masters. I don't care their seminary. I don't care this. I don't care that. What is it that they say about their Lord? What is their doctrine? Because if that doesn't match. If they want to be a pastor and that doesn't match, if they want to teach the flock of God who my master wants me to feed and protect, I want to know what in the world is this guy going to teach them? Is he teaching sound doctrine? Paul says, look, 
nothing to me. He, they, people think he's something. They think he's something. But I want to know what he teaches. And if their doctrine is wrong, nope, that's a wolf. You say, wait a second. I thought you said the Philippians were mature. Absolutely mature. But there will always, always, always be a threat. Because Satan wants to kill Christians. He wants, to, he wants to kill all of God's creation. Outside of Christ, he's got them already. Inside of Christ, he hates. He hates. He wants to kill them. You see? And that's not to sound like... Like that's the end of the story. Because if you're not a believer... If you are not a believer and you're listening and you didn't heed my prior call to repent and come to Christ, if you're still listening and you're not a believer, it is very true that Satan is dragging you to hell. It's very true. But I extend you a line. Grab it. Grab it. That's, that's what's happening. That's this war. That's this battle. Satan knows he's going to go to hell. And he just wants to drag. I don't want to say he just wants. Because he's a murderer from the beginning. The father of lies. He knows he's going to burn in hell. And he wants to take all of God's creation with him. He hates Christians. He hates Jews. He hates Christians. That's why the embodiment through the Antichrist, he will kill Jews. He will kill Christians. It is prophesied to happen. Very dark days ahead of us. Very, very, very dark days ahead of us. But there is light in Goshen. If you're not a believer, I don't want you to go to hell. People tell, oh, don't, you're scaring people to Jesus. I came to Jesus terrified. Terrified. And look, here we are. It worked wonders for me. You come to Christ. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ, and we move on to perfection together. We'll play rugby. Together. Because this threat, which you have mature Christians in Philippi, but this threat is always there. Paul says, many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. How can Paul say such a thing? Because he knows. Oh, Paul, you're so mean-spirited. How dare you talk like this? Look, he's a preacher of righteousness. Look, he says all these things. He says this. He says that. But Paul, he knows the Bible. Paul knows the Bible. Paul knows exactly what this seemingly minister of righteousness, but through Paul's eyes, a servant of Satan. Paul knows exactly what his wicked game is. To bring saints into bondage and to kill saints. 
And Paul says, even weeping. Like in Corinth, you guys might well put up with it. And understanding that this threat is very real. Pastors, if you're a pastor and you're listening, the formula must be right in you. If it isn't, go on hiatus. Step down. Repent. Get yourself right with the Lord. If you're female, step down and stay down. Coverings are always male. If you're female, pastor, female, elder, step down and stay down and repent because coverings are always male. Now, Female, you can be in ministry still. Deacon, just like uh, uh, um, Phoebe. Deaconess. You see? There's ministry for females, but pastor and elder, overseers, always male. And if that's you, especially pastors, you feed God's people, God's flock. You feed them. For some milk, for some meat. Understand that the milk drinkers need to move on to become meat eaters. But you're always going to have milk. Because you're always, you know, the young in Christ. You see? And you're on the outside. You see the wolf, you kill the wolf. Metaphysically speaking, but that's what you do. That's the job of the pastor, among other things. Feed and protect. And in some cases, kill the wolves. Metaphysically speaking. Now, the carnal believers will not understand. You know, it's it's beautiful to have saints, like the 1 Corinthians 3 type. Beautiful, they're saints. But with lack of maturity... You hear the abrasive nature of chastisement, spiritual chastisement. And the carnal response is to run away. The carnal response is to go away. Oh, how dare Paul say, so what if this brother in Christ wants to have sex with his dad's wife? So what if this guy wants to do his crack and his drugs and his alcohol? So what? Paul, you're so mean. How dare you say that? You're so mean. And that comes with immaturity. Babies, the young in Christ, do not have this discernment to understand what is happening in the spirit and what needs to happen among the flock of God. They do not have this understanding. And some among them have become enemies of the cross of Christ. Just as is written here in verse 18. An enemy of the... They speak like a Christian. They sound like they, 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 they speak Christianese. They might even teach from a study Bible. But then they say, Hey, the mark of the beast is coming. You're in the clear. Go ahead, take the mark of the beast. Enemy of the cross of Christ. Oh, come on, church, let's go grave soaking. Let's go lay on the graves. Let's go to the cemetery and lay on the graves. Enemy of the cross of Christ. Oh, we got our coalition books. By the way, God is all finished up. He's wrapped up with Israel. He's done. He's now 
His, his promises are done with Israel and now his promises are to the church. Enemy of the cross of Christ. Oh, look, glitter is the Holy Spirit. Enemy of the cross of Christ. The threat is always going to be there. And Paul says they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. I've had a former pastor, former elder tell me, don't be so heavenly minded that you're, don't be so heavy, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. The dumbest counsel from an elder should have never been an elder. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Stupid. Look at Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews. Uh, 12, or Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11, speaking about all our, our family in God, I mean, in Hebrews 11, you see in verse three, by faith, we, that's you and me, but then the writer of Hebrews goes through our family tree. In verse 4, by faith, Abel. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch. Verse 7, Noah. Verse 8, Abraham. Verse 11, Sarah. Verse 17, Abraham. Verse 20, Isaac. Verse 21, Jacob. Verse 22, Joseph. Verse 23, Moses. Also in verse 23, his parents. In verse 30, 31, Rahab. In verse 32, we have Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. In verse 33, who through faith, this our family tree, the family of God. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Verse 35, women, women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain better resurrection. I love this so much. Look how hardcore these beautiful women are. Verse 35, the women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Picture that. You're female. I mean, if you're female. If you're male, picture the females. If you're female, picture somebody of your your kind. Another female who's being tortured has the opportunity to be freed, to be delivered, but they reject it. Tortured. 
not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Females who have a sword to their throat. Who is Lord? Caesar or Jesus? You see, who is, who is Lord? And if you say Jesus is Lord, we're going to take you and put you in the arena and the bears and the lions are going to rip you apart. And we're going to do some things prior to that. But a female not accepting deliverance while she's tortured and not accepting deliverance. Why? Because she's leaning on a better promise that they might obtain a better resurrection. She's looking forward. You see how hardcore this is? Women who are not like the average bear. Beautiful, beautiful women. In verse 36, still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. You see, the world was not worthy. And I read this and I reflect back on the stupidity of that elder overseer who should have never been in that position of authority. Never. And he says to me, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Stupid counsel. Listen to me. Listen to me. Be heavenly minded. Be heavenly minded. And it's a gimme. You're no earthly good. Why? Because it is written. The world is not worthy of you. It's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. And they hated him first. They killed him. See, that's the righteous in the world. A big target on your back, a big target on your forehead, a big target on your chest. Why? Because this world is not worthy of you. Now, it's not to get on a high horse either and say, oh, look, we're of the elect. Look how awesome we are. No, it's to get off that horse. See, in humility, being fully armed, Helmet, breastplate, shield, sword, and the fishing pole. Never forget the fishing pole. Yes, this world is not worthy of you. But don't forget the fishing pole. Satan dragging all these people to hell. Go fishing. Rescue them as to fire. But in order to do that, you have to be equipped. Because <laughs> you do that, Satan will he'll come against you. And remember, it is prophesied that it will be given power, power will be given to him to prevail against the saints. You see? 
lot of wisdom is required for these. Wisdom has always been required in every age. But in this age, as the church age comes to a close, it's a different ballgame. This world is not worthy of you. But we still go fishing. Because God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And his servants are also long-suffering. Let's go back and finish our study in Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, in closing, in verse 20, for our citizenship, our citizenship. Remember in verse 3, he says, we are the circumcision. Not what these guys say who come in and say, hey, be circumcised and do the works of Moses. And No, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, evil teachers, and beware of the mutilation. We are the circumcision. He says in verse 17, join in following my example and note those who walk as you have us as a pattern, a mold for imitation. And speaking to the saints in Philippi, our citizenship in verse 20, it's in heaven, is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, translates as to uh, transfigure, to transfigure, who will transform our lowly body or our vile bodies, our, our body. Now this transform or to transfigure, remember the transfiguration? Turn to Matthew 17 really quick, really quick. And in Matthew 17, Verse 1, Brother Matthew records it like this. Matthew 17, verse 1, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face, look at this transfiguration. Look at, look at how he changed. I mean, he's the same, but look at his, how his appearance changed. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, Moses, a, while he was still speak, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Look at this transfiguration of Jesus, his earthly form, and these brothers, Peter, James, and John. They got to see what this transfiguration looked like because Jesus was transfigured. He, his face shone like the sun in verse 2. His clothes became as white as the light. Now, this very same transfiguring is for the saint. Going back to Philippians chapter 3, in verse 21, speaking about Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly, lowly bodies or who will transfigure our vile body. 
that it may be conformed, or it translates as to be fashioned to another nature. It's the receiving of the glorified body. Transfigured. Who will be conformed to his glorious body according to the working. Now, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now, when he says here, according to the working, it translates as the active, the operative, the effectual, and the powerful ability, but it speaks of it as an energy. And that's the power of our Lord. But when he says, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself, even to place under submission all things to himself. We have to, we have to understand this in perspective. And I don't want to sound carnal in saying this and explaining this, but I'm going to give a carnal example. Say you're a professional fighter, a professional fighter. And you have certain skill and ability and capability. And you have it. And you're, you're not a cheesy fighter. You're like a prized fighter. Golden gloves. Now, if somebody gets froggy with you, it's almost sad. Because, you know, they're getting froggy with you and they don't know you're a, a, a golden gloves. But you know, like, you could destroy this guy. You could literally destroy, like, not just, I don't mean, like, kill him, like, you know, I'm going to kill you and just beat you up. I mean, kill you, like, his life will be gone. You have the ability to to send this guy to the hospital. And there's that, it's kind of sad because it's like, yeah, this guy's getting froggy. And yeah, he thinks he's tough. And yeah, he's giving these threats. But he doesn't understand that he can be in the hospital in about an hour. And I, I, don't, I don't mean to say this and explain this in a carnal sense. But we have to understand this perspective. Do you remember when Pilate, Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate says to Jesus, I have the power to release you. I have the power for you to be free. And Jesus... To tell him, you have absolutely no power over me except that which has been given to you by my Father. You see, we have to have this perspective, proper perspective. And I give that example of a prize fighter. You know, you're a prize fighter, golden gloves. And the guy is getting froggy and making threats, but he doesn't realize that in less than an hour, he can be in a hospital, like on, like in the emergency room. Even Peter, when, you know, when Peter goes and, and, and strikes the soldier in his ear, he strikes him in the ear. And Jesus says, put your sword away. Peter, put your sword away. And he says to them, he says, listen. 
I could ask of my father and 12 legions of angels, 12 legions of angels would come. Now remember, remember with uh, Hezekiah? And how uh, uh, Isaiah, the prophet, came and said said to Isaiah, Isaiah, go to sleep. The Lord's got this. Isaiah wakes up in the morning and the Assyrian army, they were all dead because of one angel. The Assyrian army, a mighty army, they were all dead by the hands of one angel. One. And Jesus Christ says to the disciples, I could call on my father and 12, not 12 angels. Remember, one angel destroyed the Assyrian army. One angel did that. And he doesn't say 12 angels. He says 12 legions of angels. Let's have some perspective. I say this because when Paul says this in verse 21, according to the working, which is the, 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 the active and operative and effectual and powerful in an energy form, but it's like the power of our Lord, by which he is able to subdue, which is to place under submission all things to himself. It begs the question, why didn't he do that? He's able to. He, 12 legions of angels could have come to his rescue. The Lord tells Peter, Peter, put your sword away. He tells Pilate, Pilate says to him, you know, I have the power to free you. And proper perspective, Jesus tells him, you have Absolutely zero power, no power whatsoever, except that which has been given to you by my Father. So why didn't he subdue all things to himself? Because God is love. He didn't make robots. People have to choose him. And in choosing him, that is done through his son, his only begotten son. Remember, doctrine, sound doctrine, 100% sound doctrine will be achieved for everybody one day. For the vast majority it will be too late. It will be too. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Because in this energy and power of the Lord, his dunamis power, he is able to subdue all things to himself, to place under submission all things to himself. And he will. But not yet. Not yet. This door of grace is open, but it is closing. And it is coming to a close soon. He is absolutely able. And one day, 
Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You and me, we do it today willingly. Willingly. Because we believe. But even the non-believer one day will do it in this working of the Lord by his power. But for them, they will have sound doctrine. But it will be too late. It's just like David and the foreskins. See? Circumcision. But it was too late. Better to be circumcised while alive than circumcised while dead. An Old Testament example of a future event. In this power of the Lord, he is able and powerful and effectual. This effectual nature of his power to place under submission all of creation except in accordance to the love of our Father in heaven hallowed be his name it's grace and mercy judgment is coming but as for today grace and mercy you see And it's beautiful. When you read the promises of God in the Old Testament, in Genesis, in the Torah, understanding that these promises that the Lord made to Abraham, and you follow these promises all through Philippians, even to right here, right now, in our study through Philippians, you understand, wow, God is at work. And never forget what we looked at last week, Chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He takes delight. God, the creator of all things, God our Father, takes pleasure in making himself known and showing himself as mighty through his vessels. Just like we read in Hebrews 11. You see, just as we read through the entirety of Scripture, he rejoices to to show himself through Hannah, to show himself through Samuel, to show himself through Philip, Paul, Peter, Eunice, Lois, Priscilla, Aquila. You see? Rahab, a former prostitute. When she believed, she was a prostitute. And having believed, no more prostitute. You see? That's, I don't have a word for it. It's beautiful, but it is lovely. It is precious. And God delights in that. We're going to end our study here. Lord willing, pick up in chapter 4 next week. But to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.